This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by New Relic and Stackery. This week, I finished my chat with Anahit Pogosova about streaming data at scale using Serverless. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 92. This uh, you mentioned poll based versus stream and and things like that. So when you connect Kinesis to Lambda, this is the other thing too. I think that uh, kind of um, uh, confuses people sometimes. You're not actually connecting it to Lambda directly. Um, for pretty much all of these triggers and these integrations, there's another service that is is in between there. So what's the what's the difference between the Lambda service and the and the Lambda function itself? And that's, that's a great one because I think it's, again, one of those very confusing uh, topics which are not explained too well in the documentation. Right. And the uh, thing is that when you're just starting, like, tipping your toes in the Lambda world, you just think that, okay, I write my, my code and I upload it and deploy it and, and everything just works and this is my Lambda, right? But uh, you, you don't really know how much of the extra magic is happening behind the scenes and how many components are actually involved into making it a seamless uh, seamless service right. and there is a lot of components that come into so so you can think of a lambda function as the function that you actually write and deploy and, and like invoke but then the lambda service is what does all the kind of triggering invoking and, and batching and error handling and it really depends on uh, the way the lambda works or the, the way the lambda service works it really depends on the invocation model as you kind of mm -hmm. refer to like the poll based not poll-based. So again, one thing that is not too clearly explained in my opinion is that there is actually three different ways you can work with Lambda or communicate with Lambda. So you can invoke a Lambda synchronously. Mm -hmm. uh, so request response, you know, traditional way. And like the, the best example I think is API Gateway, which does right. that. So it requests mm -hmm. something from Lambda and it, it waits for the response. Then there is the async way, which is most, one of the most common. So you just send something to Lambda and you don't care <laughs> about what happens next. Which uses an SQS queue behind exactly. the scenes to queue requests. Exactly. Yep. Yes, that's also <laughs> like fun facts that you learn along the way. But but uh, the point is that oh, like services like SNS, for example, or S3 notifications, they all use the async model because they, they don't care about what happens with their right. notification. They just kind of invoke a Lambda and that's it. But then there is this third... Uh, gray area or a third totally different way of, of invoking a Lambda function. It's called poll-based. And uh, that's exactly how Kinesis operates with Lambda. And it's meant for uh, streaming event sources. So it's both Kinesis, data, uh, Dynam DynamoDB streams. Also Kafka apparently uses the poll-based model. And it also works with the queue uh, kind of event sources like SQS right. yep. and um, SQS, yeah. Amazon MQ, I think they also use the the poll-based method. And what poll-based invocation uh, had, or the component that is most essential in the poll-based model, it's called the event source mapping. Like one of the misunderstood components or uh, one of the hidden heroes, I would say, <laughs> behind, behind <laughs> Lambda. Because it's, it's an essential service or essential part of the Lambda service. And event source mapping actually takes care of all that extra things that uh, Kinesis plus Lambda combination is capable of. So mm -hmm. it, it's responsible for batching. It's responsible for keeping track of this uh, 
kind of point in the stream and, and where a shard, where it's really... The shard iterator, yes, if anybody exactly. wants to shard know the technical iterator. term for it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the most important for me, it handles the errors and retries behind the scenes. Right. And uh, basically, if you don't have uh, event source mapping, you can't have patching. So it, it takes care of uh, accumulating. Well, in case of um, standard uh, Kinesis Stream consumer, it pulls your Kinesis Stream for in, on your behalf, it accumulates batches of records, and then it invokes your Lambda function with that batches of records that it accumulated. Again, in case of enhanced fanout, of course, it doesn't pull. It gets the records from the Kinesis stream directly, but then from the perspective of your Lambda function, it doesn't matter. It just gets triggered right. by the event source mapping, because as you said yourself, it's not the Lambda that you connect to Kinesis stream. It's the event source mapping that you connect to mm -hmm. the stream and then you point your lambda to to that event source mapping. So right. The, so you can connect you can connect um, a lambda function or the lambda service directly to the the Kinesis stream itself, or you can use enhanced fanout and push it to the lambda function. Although yep. it, it, for all intents and purposes, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and for, for your lambda function, it doesn't really matter how that data ended or how those records ended up there. You just get a batch of records. And then you deal with it. And I mean, all, all the rest is pretty much the same from the perspective of your Lambda function because it's nicely abstracted behind the event source mapping, which kind right. of hides all that magic that happens behind the scenes. Right. So you mentioned um, some aggregation stuff um, in there and about like windows and time windows and things like that. So tumbling windows, um, that's something you can do in Kinesis as well. Can you explain that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a feature that actually came out very, very recently, uh, in the end of the reInvent, I would even say. And I think it was like one day before I was going to publish my uh, second part of my blog post. I was already kind of finally ready to submit it. And then in the evening, I get this and I was like, okay, I have to write a whole new chapter now. <laughs> but but it, it is a very interesting aspect. You can use it with both Kinesis and DynamoDB streams, actually. So it's, it's available for both. And it's a totally different... Um, way of using streams which wasn't there before. So with Lambda function, you know that you can't retain state between your function executions unless you are using some uh, external data source or, or mm -hmm. uh, database. And here, what you are allowed to do with this tumbling window is that you can persist the state of your Lambda function within that one tumbling window. So a uh, tumbling window is just a time window. Uh, it right. can be at maximum of 15 minutes. And all your invocation with that, within that uh, 15 minutes max interval, they can pass the state and aggregate the state and pass it to the next Lambda invocation. So you can do cool things like real-time analysis that you could previously do only with uh, Kinesis Data Analytics, for example. Right. Here you can do it right inside your Lambda. And then when the interval is ending, the 15 minutes, for example, interval is ending, you can uh, send that data somewhere, let's say to a database or somewhere else. And then the next interval is starting and then you're aggregating yep. again. And uh, so it's, it's pretty uh, fascinating in the sense that it, it allows you to do something that was, wasn't there before. It's, it's a completely right. different way of, of using using the uh, Lambda, basically, with the streams. But of course, there are limitations with that. <laughs> you, you can only aggregate the data on the same shard because one Lambda is processing one shard that at a time. Sense. And then um, there is also this thing called parallelization factor, which we haven't talked about, but, <laughs> <laughs> but which basically means that uh, instead of having one Lambda reading from one shard at a time, 
you can have actually up to 10 lambdas that are reading from that same shard. So you can kind of boost the power of, of, of reading because if, if one lambda, for example, if lambda execution takes too long and, and kind of you are, can't keep up with your stream, then you can either add more shards, for example, to your stream, but it's expensive, it takes time and has some limit, or then you can immediately just kind of throw more lambdas at it, you know, just say like right. more horsepower and they will take care of it. But if you have more than one lambda reading from each shard, you can't use this new tumbling window feature, so right. it's, which, which makes sense, of course. Right, and it depends. It depends on what you're doing, because I mean, the idea of uh, the parallelization factor—such um, a hard word to say—but um, the the, uh, the the whole point of that is to say, you know, you're reading up to a thousand um, a thousand records per second uh, off of this stream, and if for some reason, um, you know, it takes more than a second to process one of those records or one of the, whatever, then you're going to you're going to see the problem with not being able to process enough records exactly. quickly, and you're going to start backing up your uh, exactly. backing up your stream if you're if you're writing to it so it is it's one again it's just one of those trade-offs mm. right yeah but but again this uh this new feature i think it's going to be developed still maybe someday it's going to have some kind of support for it though i don't i can't see really how under the hood it would function like between different yeah. lamb, uh, between different uh, lambdas in the same shot but anyhow this i think is a very cool new thing that i'm actually eager to try out in production if i just figure out a case <laughs> a case for that because it just looks so cool and it's so simple to do yeah well i mean and the other thing is is it depends on what you're doing with it like if you're so the use case that i've seen and actually i started playing around with like sqs batch windows to try to do something similar i know they're different but they're uh same sort of idea where when you're doing aggregations um if you're just reading off a stream and you're trying to aggregate um you need to take you have to grab that data from somewhere, like you said, because you know lambdas are stateless. So um, you have to query a DynamoDB database or something like that, um, or a table, and then pull back what the last aggregations were, and then you know then you read in the data from the stream, and then you write you you do your aggregation there, and then you write it back to the DynamoDB. If you're doing that, you know hundreds of times a second, mm. um, that is pretty inefficient. Where if you just did it, you know set your tumbling windows to one minute even, um, and you could read thousands of thousands of records um, and then be able to just write that back to the database one time the, just the efficiency gain there is huge exactly exactly if you have a use case that that is like that because I personally don't that's why it's kind of I'm trying to come up with one <laughs> in the future come but, up with uh, your, come, yes find a, find a problem for the solution yes right? exactly <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, yeah it, it, it can be very very helpful and again it's pretty straightforward using it so yeah. I, I can see a lot of people loving it really. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. So uh, another thing I just want to mention, because we keep talking about Lambda and, and we mentioned the concurrency thing and some of those other uh, those other bits. Um, in terms of, of provisioning shards and having one Lambda per shard, and then potentially if you do the parallelization factor, 10 Lambdas per shard, um, if you had 100 shards because you had a lot of data coming in um, and you had the parallelization factor turned on, um, then you've got 1,000 concurrent Lambdas being run at once. And guess which, what uh, it, happens next? What happens next? Yeah, and the people don't know the the soft limit in any region is one thousand concurrent executions um, for your uh, for your lambda concurrency. So um, so that's just something that people need to think about. Yeah, for sure, and that's something I bring up quite often because well, been there, done that. <laughs> but uh, actually, one hundred shards is not even 
too much. There are apparently streams with like thousands of shards, you know. Mm. Uh, so, I, well, we have something like 40, 40 shards in our stream. So it's it's already quite quite decent amount. But yes, as you said, exactly. So if you have, for example, 100 shards and then you have a parallelization factor of 10, you will have 100 times 10, <laughs> 1000 lambdas running or consuming that stream at all times. So there will be constantly 1000 lambda, concurrent lambda invocations. And you probably won't run into any problems until there is some other lambda in that same region in the right. same account that is probably very business critical, that does something very important, and then it starts to fail for some unknown reason. <laughs> and right. that reason right. is not even that lambda. The reason is your stream, which is consuming the entire budget that you have allocated for, for lambda. So yeah, it's something people oversee quite often that though lambda scales endlessly potentially, in reality, all the services, they come with these safety mechanisms of soft limits. There is no service in AWS, I think, that, that is kind of, it, it comes out of the box with no limits, just just use it right. as it is. So they, basically for your own safety, uh, there, there are some soft limits. And on the other hand, though they are soft, which means that you can increase them by submitting a ticket to support, it will take some time, I warn you, <laughs> especially if you go kind of uh, higher than, than normal. But um, though you can do that, there still is going to be a limit. There is mm -hmm. always going to be a limit. And, and right. you just need to know that it exists because one day you're probably going to hit it. So you have to kind of uh, monitor that all the time. And, and yeah, that's, that's one thing to keep in mind. But that's, that's a common thing with SQS as well, for example, and right. maybe SNS. So all the services that can scale the lambdas pretty much like <laughs> out of hands, then you are faced with, with that concurrence, lambda concurrence limit that you have to be careful with. Right. One limit that I, I love that has nothing to do with Kinesis, but with SNS is um, for if you send SMS messages with SNS, I think the default limit is $1 spend per month. So like if you send, if you send like 200 text messages or something like that, it ends up cutting you off. Um, maybe not 200, you would probably send more than that, but um, it is a very, very low limit. Um, and I think it's just because they don't want people, I don't know, spamming SMS uh, or something like that. But can, can you increase anyways. it? Is it soft limit? Or? Oh no, you can increase okay. it. Yeah, but okay. you have to submit the ticket. But I mean, right. but basically yeah, like yeah. I remember I set up a new account for something and we were doing all these alarms and it was like within two days, I get a message saying, no, you that's can't, it. No, you that's exceeded enough. your limit. And I was like, well, that's, that was fast. Um, so, and if you're, and if you're using something like control tower or any of these things to provision hundreds of accounts, you know, some of these soft limits that are in there are, you know, can affect you. So, you know, whether it's Lambda or some of these other ones, but. No, it's, it's surprisingly um, easy to, to, to reach all of the soft limits as long as, as I mean, as soon as you go to the real world uh, cases, right, you know, from exactly. those hello world cases. And yeah, it's not a problem reaching the limits per se. The problem is many people don't know that they are there. Yeah, <laughs> but that's yep, where, where the point. problems start. Hey, everyone. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, New Relic. Incidents happen fast, but they don't come out of nowhere. If your team is on top of things, then they can catch sudden shifts in performance and fix the issues before it impacts customers. But who has time to constantly check thousands of hosts, services, and containers? That's where New Relic Lookout comes in. Part of full-stack observability, it compares current performance to past performance, then displays it in an estate-wide view of your whole system. If there's a sudden change, you see it right away, and it updates constantly so you get a real-time view of your system performance in a single glance. It's a totally different way to look at your system, and it actually gives you true observability. Sign up for free at newrelic.com and start moving faster than ever. 
All right. So speaking of limits, um, the uh, you know there are limits, obviously, to uh, to, to kinesis and, and some of these things that um, maybe even go beyond some of the soft limits. I mean, there's just you know limitations in distributed systems, and there's limitations in network throughput, and some of those other things. Um, and so, as you hit some of those limits, or um, maybe let's just talk about errors in general. Like as you start to kind of run up against problems, um, you know, whether they're caused by limits or whether they're caused by you know something else. Um, you know, what are some of the things that I guess uh, could go wrong? wrong when you're using kinesis right well that's that's my favorite topic really <laughs> but i mean like with with every service as you said I'm, nobody says it better than Werner vogels who says that everything fails right. all the time and uh, i love that phrase because that's that's true <laughs> and Very true. kind of um, <laughs> it's not because you want to be pessimistic but rather because you want to be prepared and you want to sleep better at night <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because if you are not prepared then surprising things will happen eventually and for me personally like with kinesis or any other service really when i start working with a new service like first things basically that i ask is that uh, what what are the ways in which it fails what are the possible errors what are the possible limits are they hard limits are they soft right. limits you know all this and and even uh, what's the built-in functionality for for retries, for example? What are the default timeouts and that kind of things? So mm -hmm. those are very common that things that you start to question after you have got a lot of headache with one of the services, and then you start to question those those specific questions when you start working with a new service. And um, with Kinesis, you can probably separate the errors for like writing to Kinesis stream and like yeah. reading to Kinesis stream. So for writing, well, uh, first, it's nice that um, AWS SDK has a built-in functionality for retries for, for all the uh, failures or system failures that happen and timeouts as well. And um, <laughs> it's not uh, documented or it used to be not documented too well because personally, I learned about the built-in retries uh, when I was developing unit, unit tests and then they were mm -hmm. behaving weirdly and I was like, what? something's going on here. What's that? <laughs> and then I realized, oh, it retries three times by default for every right. system error. And wonderful. That's, that's a wonderful news. But maybe not so wonderful news is the thing called partial failure. And mm. it's actually very common for all the services that are using uh, patching. So what it means is that when you, for example, write a batch of records to Kinesis, it's not an atomic operation. It's not either the entire batch succeeds or entire batch fails and you get an error code back from Kinesis. The reality is that you almost always get a success code back from Kinesis and it's very mm -hmm. misleading because uh, parts of that batch could have failed and you don't know about that. And what you should do instead of just looking for uh, or um, waiting for an error to come back, what you should do instead is to look at the response that comes back from Kinesis and to see if there is the there is this field called a uh, failed error count or something like that, right. which yeah. basically tells you where there are actually failures within that batch that didn't go through to the Kinesis. And that can happen, for example, because of throttling. So some of the records just didn't make it, they didn't make it to Kinesis stream. So that's that's one of the basically like main issues that we have had with Kinesis streams. And uh, you have to take care of those partial failures manual and you have to do uh, some smart <laughs> retries and, and back-offs and, and random jitters and things like that. And then there are the timeouts, of course, which, which always happen. And, and you need to know the kind of the default settings for the timeouts, because in case of Kinesis, for example, um, the service times out after two minutes so and actually there are two timeout values. There is a timeout for a new socket 
connection and then there is a timeout for sending a request. So first you will wait two minutes to, to create a socket connection and then you will wait another two minutes for sending a request. Then it will be retried three times and then like 10 right. minutes in and you are still waiting for one batch to go through, you know, like kind of in a, in a pessimistic scenario. And again, right. those are things you don't really see in the documentation right away. Those are the things that you end up finding out because you have some problems. And um, yeah, the point is that you almost, or you, you always have to set the, the timeouts to a lower value than the default two right. minutes. Yeah, those defaults is, are, it's crazy. The defaults are not, are yeah, not great. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So those are like the ma main things with writing. So like partial failures on, on timeouts and that kind of things. But with reading, things get even more interesting <laughs> because right. there's so many options. And uh, one of the things that is very common, it's called poison pill record. Ah, the poison pill. Oh, the poison pill, yes. And uh, nowadays it's actually pretty avoidable, but let's get back to it later. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, mm, the idea of poison pill is that if you have a lambda function attached to your kinesis stream and it's reading from the shard and everything is fine until there is some corrupt record in your shard for some reason. And your Lambda function tries to read that record and it fails, and then you don't have proper error handling because, well, who needs error handling? And then your entire Lambda function fails, right? And when your entire Lambda function fails, what happens is that Lambda returns, or as we know, uh, event source mapping actually returns the entire batch back to the stream. And then it retries kind of, or makes Lambda retry with that entire batch that just failed. And speaking of defaults, it retries 10,000 times, I think, no, by default? No, you're too optimistic. By default, it retries forever. Oh, forever? <laughs> yes, it retries until the data expires, which means ah. from 24 hours to, to up to seven days or one year. <laughs> but uh, let, let's explain why it's not, good. it's not a good thing. <laughs> well, first of all, yeah. you don't want to have all these kind of uh, uh, unnecessary Lambda invocations that don't do anything. They just send the same records and then they, they keep, they, failing, they keep failing. failing at the same point of the batch and then they start all over again and it's pointless. But uh, the problem is that in, well, let's say 24 hours, let's take the optimistic scenario. So, <laughs> so in 24 hours, the batch expires finally and Lambda can kind of forget about it. So the batch gets deleted from the stream and then the next batch can, comes in. But the problem here is that by that moment in time, we probably your stream or your shard is probably filled with records that were written around the same time as the, the, the records mm -hmm. that you were trying to process, which means that they are expiring around the same time that, right. that, that, that the previous batch. And uh, if your Lambda is not quick enough, <laughs> you might end up in a situation when records uh, end up falling from your stream, this you know overflowing sync analogy that I had in, right, in, yeah. in my blog post, when kind of you basically pour water to the sink more quickly than you can drain it. Right. Uh, and then the water ends up on the floor. So that's the exact situation. So basically what ended up happening is just because of having one bad record and no proper error handling, you ended up losing a lot of, or you can potentially end up losing a lot right. of records. So hence the poison pill, because that one <laughs> bad record poisoned, poisoned the entire, kind of, uh, entire shard, basically. Right. And I'm actually curious something. I, I've never tested this, but let's say that you get a batch of records that's only, say, 100 records because... Um, uh, it's you know there's only a hundred records in the stream, so it sends that batch to to um, to lambda and then lambda fails because there's a poison pill and it sends those hundred records back. Um, if another hundred records come in because it's still under whatever your threshold was for batches, would it then send in like you know the two hundred the next time and then you know would it keep sending in the up to the the full batch amount as it retries those batches? I would imagine it should really that that would make sense. 
We just right. never had the situation because we usually have like the complete batch. Right, you have a full but batch. Yeah. I would imagine that's how it should that's how it should work. Yeah, because kind of it, it accumulates the entire batch, but it doesn't matter because it will stop at the exact same record. It processes them in, in order. Yeah. It will stop right. at the exact same record. And then, well, of course, if you process them in order, you can process all the records in parallel if you want right. to. But then right. you won't have so. the, the ordering. But yeah, it's 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 funny situation, funny situation, and it's it's very easy to end up in it and being yes. there done that once again. But luckily, well, first of all, proper error handling in in your lambda function, where you don't allow the entire function to fail just because of you know one record that didn't go through, right. and then like there are different ways to approach that, and then. The things that I was talking about a lot or mentioning a lot is the error handling that comes out of the box with the event source mapping. And nowadays, and actually, it's, it's developing, and each year they are adding new new functionality and new possibilities right. that weren't there before. So what you said about ten thousand uh, retry attempts, it, it's a totally new feature. It wasn't there. Um, they added this uh, maximum retry attempt uh, yeah. setting to the uh, event source mapping. But again, by default, it's minus one, which means that it does it infinitely. So, but but you can set it to up to uh, ten thousand if you want to, and then you can set the maximum age of the record that Lambda will accept. So, if the records get older than some specific age, I think it can be up to one week. Even you can kind of uh, your Lambda will skip the record; it won't process yeah. them. And then there is the on failure destinations where you can send the information about your failed record if if everything fails. And then I think that the one of the fun uh, fun possibilities is the called uh, batch bisecting. Yep. So it's it's when you basically split your uh, problematic batch in two, and then Lambda tries to send these two parts separately. And then, like, hopefully the other one succeeds, and then it kind of continues with the failed one and kind of uh, splits it recursively further until hopefully you end up with just one bad just record. The one. Yes, but but on the way there, you actually end up same, sending same records over or processing same records over and right. over and over again. So it's not kind of optimal. And then there was like one more announcement around the same time, because of which I had to update my, my blog post. Um, <laughs> I think it's called custom checkpoints. Or, custom checkpoints, yep. Yeah, it's where uh, it's basically common sense. Right, <laughs> it's right. uh, in, instead of just failing your lambda and saying, well, no can do, there was a batch, I, I, I don't know, something bad happened. Instead of that, you can return the exact sequence number of the record back to the stream, the, the, the record that caused the problem. So if you went on with your batch, you processed till record n, then you return that n back to, to, um, to event source mapping, and it knows that, okay, next time I retry, I will start from that n rather than right. kind of starting again from, from right. scratch. So and that and that should that should eliminate the need to do the bisecting. Yeah, right? that's the bisect. Yeah, right. So if, you're, if you if you have an existing system that is using bisecting, you yes. don't have to change it. But uh, you know, AWS likes to do that where yes. they'll keep the old functionality exactly. in, but there's a better way to do it. I mean, yeah, same thing with like for, dead letter queues and lambda destinations, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> but like for the sake of it, if you if you like the idea of just kind of uh, splitting your batch and, and sending them separately behind the scenes without doing anything, well, <laughs> you can have that. But yes, of course, that uh, this new functionality would be so much better because you would avoid all this unnecessary reprocessing of the of the right. same records. Yeah. 
Hey everyone, I wanted to take a minute to thank our sponsor Stackery and tell you about their latest tool, Stack.new. Stack.new helps visualize and audit AWS CloudFormation templates against different aspects of AWS's well-architected framework so that you can make sure you're following all the best practices. All you need to do is provide a public GitHub template link or browse through a bunch of previously shared templates. You'll then get back assessments of IAM role scoping, encryption configuration, and a whole lot more, along with links to relevant guides to help make your infrastructure more reliable and secure. So visit stack.new today, give it a try, and make sure you share your feedback with the Stackery team. So what are some of those other common issues? I mean, you mentioned timeouts um, uh, and uh, maybe like network issues are obviously happen, but but what are what are some of maybe the other the other you know distributed network things that uh, that pop up when you're using Kinesis? Yeah, I think that the the timeouts and network problems are really kind of the core of it most of the times, really. And um, the other one that I've mentioned several times already, the the at least once guarantee, so-called at least mm. once guarantee, so the idempotency, right. uh, basically with Kinesis, you are not guaranteed to get your data exactly once, it's at least once. So you will have right. duplicates in your stream. And um, it's because of, for example, the retry functionality. Right. that we just discussed both with uh, sending and receiving the records. But also uh, the fact that, for example, the, the network issues also kind of contribute to that because you might have sent a batch of records to Kinesis but never heard back from it. Like you, you just didn't right. get the message, so to speak. And and then you will retry it because you, you don't know if, either it went through or not. And then maybe it did go through and then you end up writing the same batch all over again. You know, th these are the things that happen pretty much all the time. And, mm -hmm. and the only thing or, or the only way to deal with them is just to, to know that they happen and to be prepared for them. Like right. with with um, at least one guarantee, your downstream uh, systems must be um, uh, resilient in the sense that they, they must be then potent. Uh, they don't, uh, they won't change if the same data comes over and over again. So right. they, they need to be handled, uh, to, to be able to handle that um, that repeating records in, in your stream. And then with with the network problems, well, there's not much you can do about network problems. <laughs> of course, if you have a, a, a producer that is running inside VPC, uh, creating a Kinesis VPC endpoint is a good idea. So the, the kind of traffic won't leave your VPC. Right. So that's right. what, but pr pr pretty much that's the only thing you can do about those. <laughs> but on the other hand, you can handle uh, those issues with um, or let's say timeouts are also network issues in some way or quite often. And uh, the thing that we were discussing before that default timeouts are really not that great. Right. Most right. of the time you need to uh, you need to adjust those with Kinesis special or not especially, but that's a good example maybe. But actually one fun thing I remembered about the timeouts is related to DynamoDB, which are probably familiar to you. In a mm -hmm. sense, because the DynamoDB also has some ridiculous uh, default timeout, like a minute, two minutes, something like that. And uh, when a couple of years ago at Reinvent, I was speaking with one of DynamoDB guys and was asking that, okay, we have this um, API that needs to retrieve data from DynamoDB and it needs to be very, very quick. So latency should be very low. And we used to have like Lambda in between. So Lambda was doing calls to DynamoDB. Yeah. And the first thing he said was like, reduce the timeouts. <laughs> Because uh, apparently DynamoDB can time out pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. So it's much better to drop the connection 
sooner right. rather than later. So you set the timeout to, I don't know, 1,000 milliseconds, and then you let the SDK handle the, the retry the instead retries. of yeah. instead of waiting for like forever. But that was funny. That was the first thing they recommended me to do. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, even though they set the they set those um those those defaults pretty high, but yeah, exactly. Um, um, all right. So then, in terms of monitoring this, though, I mean, that's one thing that I, I I really like about Kinesis is that you do get quite a few metrics where you can look and see how your shards are doing, how quickly you know they're being drained, how you know how backed up they are, and stuff like that. Like, what what are some of those? What are some of those? Uh, the, I guess the most important metrics that that you kind of want to keep your eyes on. Right. So, of course, there are separate ones for writing to the stream and for reading to the stream. So, I would say for writing, the writing, what is it, write throughput exceeded exception is like mm -hmm. the, the metrics that tells you that you exceeded the throughput of your, of your right, stream, right. basically. So, that's the one that was pretty much eye-opening for us because, well, the thing is, I think with metrics in general is that they are at best minute based so they are aggregate metrics or aggregate values over a mm -hmm. one minute time right and with kinesis as we have mentioned several times all the limits are per second so it's 1000 records per second one one megabyte per second right and right. that's the information you don't get from the metrics so you don't see the picture kind of per second picture so there is a metric that tells you how many records come in and uh, how much of the data comes in and you might look at those and think, okay, the threshold is still far, far away. I for sure have no issues with, yeah. with this stream. And then you notice that there is this provisioning throughput exceeded exception metric that, that is being kind of popping up. And you, right, you right. figure out that, okay, apparently, apparently think bad things can happen even in this situation. Of course, it's because of, for example, the networks issues that we discussed before, or like spiky traffic, because like the records right, traffic. Yep, are, the records arrive to your stream ununiformly in a way. So, mm -hmm. so it might be that one one second it's like five thousand records, and the next second it's just like three records. And uh, you can't see that in metrics. You or in right. one metric, you have to kind of observe the metrics that tell you what goes wrong in in a way. That's that's the key, I guess. And same goes to the to reading from from the stream. Really, there is this read provision throughput exceeded, which is basically only for a shared iterator case. So the standard standard reading consuming the stream. So when you exceed, for example, two megabytes, or yeah. you ex exceed this five requests per second, which we don't even go into. Read my <laughs> blog post; you will know what I'm talking about. But uh, you get those, and then there is. I think the most important one is the iterator age. When you when what when it comes to reading yeah. from the stream because that's the one that tells you the kind of age of the record meaning like how long they have been in that stream and apparently if the age increases uh, it means that you can't consume them fast enough so right. uh, there you might have a problem uh, there with with your consumer for example or you have too many consumers and then you have to have the enhanced fan out and things like that but there are basically like two three metrics that you have to keep an eye on. And if you see any issues with those, then you have to dig deeper, maybe in enable the, the enhanced metrics, which are not um, stream level, but they are shard level metrics. So yeah. you can, for each shard, you can have the same or similar uh, kind of information so you can diagnose it more precisely. Right. Yeah. And if it was only serverless, or I should say fully serverless and did this automatically for us, that would be, uh, that would be much better. Yes. Um, well. <laughs> 
Um, so, so just like your blog post, uh, this episode turned out to be quite lengthy. Um, and, but I hope I hope people got uh, quite a bit of um, uh, uh, quite a bit of knowledge from this and and uh, are not afraid of of uh, using Kinesis because it's an amazing service. Yes, it has all of those caveats that we talked about, but um, still an amazing service. But um, if you've got a few more minutes, I'd love to just pick your brain for a second because I think there are a lot of common misconceptions about you know building serverless applications and uh, and again whether we whether Kinesis is serverless or not um, we'll put that aside but but just all of these different services even lambda and 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 having to build in the retries and know you know about the either bisecting or using the custom checkpoints or doing some of these other things there's a lot that goes into it so what are what are some of the I mean maybe just you know even your own your from your own perspective when you're building serverless applications or using fully managed services like what are just some of those misconceptions that maybe people have. Yes, I've I've noticed those well, few of them actually <laughs> when working with serverless. <laughs> and people usually have strong opinions, you know, about serverless. It's either both they, they go both ways. But right. I think uh, many people assume that it's either either very easy, <laughs> or then right. and, and you don't have to do anything. Everything is done for you, or then it's way too complicated. And. Um, I think again, Yan Tsui uh, had a nice blog post lately about the complexity of serverless or perceived complexity of serverless. And what he was saying is that serverless is not complex; it just reveals the underlying complexity of the systems that we used to build before. So all these right. things that were built in and hidden from everybody's eyes, but they were still there. Now they are more obvious with using all the different components, and you connect them to each other, and you have all that. Uh, ecosystem living there, but which gives you more control over those individual components more, as well. More observability, it gives you more right. control, and and all these nice things why we love serverless. So I, I am all for it. <laughs> uh, but uh, on the other hand, I think it's a simplistic view to think that fully managed and serverless it means that you you basically just deploy your code and you have to worry about nothing. Because right. as we discussed with you several times already, yeah, you will probably get away with that on the hello world level. It will be pretty pretty much okay. But then uh, when you get to the real world and real world scale, you actually do need to know in quite some detail how each and every service that you are using, how they work and how they fail. Because, mm -hmm. well, once again, they will right. fail at some point and you basically, you need to know how they fail and what can happen just to sleep at night, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I also think just the, this idea, that, you know, that again, the set it and forget it um, for s simple things, like you said, yes, mm -hmm. but it just ongoing management, all right? I mean, and optimizations and, you know, and, and, and shards, uh, you know, refactoring code and, and like I mean, with the shards thing, like monitoring that and saying, okay, we're starting to creep up to this next yep. level or maybe we're not processing fast enough or maybe our shard iterator keeps, you know, pushing over a certain amount of time during certain times of the day. I'm and getting anxious things. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, I know. Yeah, you want to go back and look at all those, look exactly, at all those metrics, uh, all right? the, but, but that's exactly right. But maybe it will sound scary, well, we put it that way, but on the other, other hand, the again, well, it reveals the complexity your your systems do have anyway. And the the good news here, I think, is that in case of AWS, uh, there is a lot of common uh, commonalities in how services work. And, yeah, and, and true. Uh, once again, I think understanding one service like through and through will 
will kind of help you to understand like all these issues with the with the distributed systems and, and the errors and, and built-in retries and, and whatnot. So it, it you don't really need to remember every single thing by heart and and like it's it's not as overwhelming as we maybe make it make it sound at the moment. It's just it, it does require some work, but I think it's well worth it. I totally agree. Well, Anahit, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk with me and educate the masses about Kinesis. Um, if people want to find out more about uh, what you do or want to contact you, how do they how do they do that? Well, first of all, they need to read the blog. <laughs> it's long, but I hope it's worth it and has some nice nice pictures, so some some benefits. Um, then they can reach me on LinkedIn, first names, last name, and Twitter. Again, first name, last name, and um, yeah, I think I think that's about it. Awesome. And then um, the blog at Solita um, dot fi, um, and then you've got a, a really good uh, talk that you gave. I think it was at uh, AWS Community Day, maybe Stockholm. Um, <laughs> oh my god, like it, it's been over a year already. That was the last <laughs> trip that I made before. Isn't that crazy? Before I know it's, it's been a year. It's been a year. It's been I just a year. we just celebrated or uh, celebrated, I guess. <laughs> there was just a year passed for Serverless Days Nashville, which was the last conference that I went to in person. So exactly. I am looking forward to doing that again and bumping into people and, and talking to people about this in the hallway because um, those are the best conversations. So for sure. anyways, I will take all of this stuff, your Twitter, LinkedIn, blog, the the the, uh, the two blog posts that you wrote um, about this, as well as that that video uh, talk uh, from uh, Community Day Stockholm. I will put all that into the show notes. Uh, Anahit, thank you again so much. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It was so much fun. <laughs> and that's the rest of my serverless chat with Anahit Pogosova. I want to give a huge thank you to Anahit for being my guest this week and to our sponsors, New Relic and Stackery. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 92. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter, at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.